Good morning, and welcome back to the Sermon on the Mount. Um, If you're new to us, we started to read um, this lovely chunk of Matthew back in the autumn last year. We had a bit of a break for Christmas and for Lent and for Easter, but we're back on the last lap this morning. This large swathe of Jesus' teaching that Matthew brings together into one place. It's a foundational document for our Christian discipleship. It's based on God's great love for us. And Jesus in the sermon spells out the topsy-turvy nature of his kingdom and invites us to join in with him in that kingdom. Those counted as blessed in the kingdom are the poor, the humble, the merciful, those who seek after God's righteousness and justice and peace. It's a total contrast to much of the way in which the world worked in Jesus' time and in ours too. In the sermon, Jesus spells out how he expects inhabitants of this new kingdom to live in our lives in society, in our lives in the church, in our personal walk with him. Walking in Jesus' way, we will experience the goodness of God. A life lived in true fullness, rather than the fake promises that our society keeps throwing at us. Jesus' teaching is acknowledged by many as being a great work of ethics. It's up there alongside Aristotle and many others on that. Many atheists admire what is written here. Many of the sayings in the sermon have become commonplace in our language. But what did it take for those sayings to become doings? From hearing to action. What sort of tenacity is needed to keep doing what Jesus has asked us to do? We live in a culture, don't we, where we expect instant answers and instant results. It's a crazy example, but uh, when we first put in an email system at the county council back in the early 1990s, the whole aim of it was intended to make people more productive so that their uh, their work wasn't being interrupted by um, non-urgent phone calls. So we put it in, but what happened? Well, people sent the emails, all right, but then they followed up almost immediately with a phone call to say, have you seen the email and what are you doing about it? Which sort of rather defeated the object, I think. Um, But we expect that instant response. Um, Any of you who have been stuck on the end of a phone queuing system will know what that feels like. As well as seeking instant results, I think Eugene Peterson is is right when he says and asks the question, have we become religious tourists in our discipleship? You know, we get on the bus and it takes us to the important places and the high points, and it ignores the areas of hardship and difficulty. I'm sure you could go to Kampala as a tourist, And you could spend two weeks there and you would never be confronted 
with the injustices that our sisters and brothers in Kalewe have to face day by day? Is our discipleship like that, that we, we try and avoid where it gets hard and difficult, and we just look for the high points, and we look for a shortcut to get to the next high point? I love the way in which Peterson uses um, the, the German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche. Um, it's a strange person to be quoting in this context, I guess, because of his anti-God sort of feelings. But he writes this, the essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. And when we do that, that has results and has always resulted in the long run, wrote Nietzsche, something which has made life worth living. A long obedience in the same direction. And I believe that's what Jesus begins to call us to through the whole of the sermon. That long obedience in his direction, following his guidance in his paths. Instant results, an easy path, or a long obedience in the same direction. Where's your discipleship this morning? What are you looking for as you follow Jesus today? We come to the four challenges at the end of the sermon over these coming weeks. The first of them, which we'll look at this morning, picks up Claire's question at the end of what she preached last week. Where are you looking to find the way to live? Second is, who are you listening to? The third, how close are you keeping to God? And the fourth question Jesus asks at the end, are you wise or foolish? We'll see how those work out over the coming next few weeks. We'll look at the first one this morning on the way. During my ordination placement, I did uh, ordination training. I did a placement with the Mission to Seafarers in Southampton, and that includes door-to-door work with a surprise twist, because if you time it wrongly, the house has moved its mooring ropes and is on its way down Southampton Water, and there's no door to knock on. On my first night there, we went to up to the container berths. First time I'd ever been. Um, in that part of the docks. And as we left the, the minibus to go to one of the container boats to see the crew, we were confronted with a choice as to which way we should walk to get there. There was a lovely broad area which looked flat and easy to walk, or there was a narrow path along the key edge littered with bollards and mooring ropes and a drop into the river test if you weren't too careful. It was a narrow way. It was a hard way. The broad way was the marshalling area for the straddle carriers carrying containers, travelling at a real rate of knots. They could see each other, but certainly not any little pedestrians walking across underneath. Jesus said... Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow, or as most English translations have, hard, 
the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Jesus' challenge to us this morning is that in following him, we go through a narrow gate and walk a hard way. That's our call in discipleship, in following him. It is a narrow gate. And that means we have to discard quite a bit before we can actually go through it. In one of the children's Bibles, there's a beautiful illustration of when Jesus talks about going, the, the camel going through an eye of a needle and of, of, the, of the merchant trying to squeeze this camel through and having to remove all of the stuff that the camel is carrying um, before finally they can get some sort of opening to actually force him through. I was on a train station once and somebody tried to take a very large suitcase through a narrow automated gate. Uh, well, you can imagine the net chaos that resulted from that. It's a narrow gate. It means we have to lay things down from our past, perhaps, in order to follow Jesus and to obey his call. It requires attention. It requires dedication. And it means turning our back on some things as well. A friend of mine who'd worked for many years in Rwanda tells the story of one particular wedding there that he went to. And the pastor got up to the front of the church and the bride and groom came up to him. And he immediately turned to the groom and said, I want you to turn round and wave goodbye to all your old girlfriends that are in the congregation. And then he did the same thing with the bride as well, to say, wave goodbye to your old girlfriends in the congregation. Now we can actually start the, start the service. The starting point for our journey of discipleship is of turning admiration for Jesus' teaching into living it, to enter through that narrow gate and begin the journey. And if you haven't started to do that and want to, do come and talk to one of us after the service. I'm delighted to help you and, and to talk you through and pray with you. Last Sunday, we had the great joy of baptizing four of our students. They've come through that gate, and they've now joined many of us on the next stage of the journey, along that narrow path, along that hard path. And Jesus warns us that it's going to be like that, that it will be narrow, it will be hard. The path to the container ship we were visiting wasn't simple. You did have to have attention and just see where the obstacles were so you didn't trip over the side of the quay. While learning to be unbothered by the containers that were whizzing to and fro above your heads as they unloaded the ship. Jesus, I don't think, ever promises that discipleship will be easy. Joyful, yes. Easy, no. Remember what happened when people came to him? That man came to him and said, I'm going to follow you, Lord, wherever you go. And Jesus says, yeah, but birds have their nests and foxes have holes. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Do you still want to follow? Or the rich young ruler who came to him and, and, and asked what he needed to do to, to get eternal life. And Jesus said, well, follow the commandments. He said, I've been doing all of that. Jesus turned to him and said, I want you to sell 
all that you have and give it to the poor. And the account then goes that that man went away sad because he was very rich and didn't feel he could do that. Jesus calls us through a narrow gate and to a way that is hard. Walking the way of Jesus is going to mean facing opposition and ridicule from others. I wonder whether you've had the experience of being found out as a Christian or explaining you're a Christian to others. And they say, well, you surely can't believe that rubbish in this day and age. That's gone. We'll be rebuked when we stand up for justice. Look at some of the vitriol poured on the bishops over their opposition to the immigration bill this past week. Walking the way of Jesus doesn't provide immunity to temptation and failing that test. Walking the way of Jesus means recognizing where we've got, wrong, got it wrong, getting it put right with God and with anybody that we've hurt in the process. Walking the way of Jesus means learning as we go and if need be, recalibrating the journey. Think of a sat-nav when you take the wrong turning. We should always be a learning community. That's the root meaning of discipleship, is that of learning, of being students. We learn from God, we learn from each other as we study the word together. Walking the way of Jesus calls for dedication to him. It means to borrow from the wedding service, forsaking all others. And yet the temptations are there, aren't they? As the people prepare to go into the promised land. Deuteronomy 11 includes this warning. Be careful, or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. I wonder where you're being stretched at the moment of losing that focus on God and going away from him. Or maybe you've been walking with Jesus for maybe many years, but you just feel you got stuck at the moment. You're frightened about what the next steps might be. Or you're wanting just to get out if you can. But walking in the way of Jesus means that we keep going even when it gets tough. Paul uses the example in writing to Timothy of our Christian walk as being like an athlete who's preparing for the race. I think if you talk to athletes, they would say, yes, it was hard during that time of preparation. Listen to some of the swimmers who say, you know, when they were seven or eight years old and their parents driving them early morning to the pool to go and practice and the constant years of, of all that they did. But when they're standing on that podium with a gold medal in their hand, all of that seems as nothing. Walking in the way of Jesus is also one of great joy, of great excitement. We have the companionship of the Spirit, not only to guide us, but also to empower us. One of the issues that sometimes raised is, you know, how do we keep what Jesus asks us to do 
in the sermon. And part of that is through the empowering work of the Spirit in our lives. And we have the companionship of one another as well. To be able to share those times when we're, we're, we're on top of the world because we've, we've sensed God at work in our lives in the previous week. But that companionship is there too as we sweep each other up when we've gone through a really miserable week. Nothing seems to have gone right. God seems to have gone absent. What do we do now? And I hope that in our small groups, whatever shape and form they take, are a place where we can express how we're feeling. The weeks that have been rubbish, the weeks that have been great, and actually build one another up and equip each other for the next stage of the journey. Jesus calls us to enter by the narrow gate and to walk the hard path. One commentator makes this bold challenge. Genuineness is found not in profession, but in action. The teaching of the Sermon on the Mount is not meant to be admired, but to be obeyed. I wonder how you'd respond to that writer this morning. Maybe you've entered through the narrow gate to embark on that journey of life and fulfillment. But maybe you're hovering by it and not sure whether it's the way you should walk. I said earlier, maybe you started out some years ago and you've just got stuck. And you're not quite sure of how to get out of that being stuck. Do come and seek prayer after the service if that's for you. Or maybe you are at one of those high points at the moment and you're really enjoying where God is leading you and everything seems to be going well. Then do come encourage the rest of us who maybe not be feeling like that, but be sensitive about the way you express that to us. As the people of Israel pass through the narrow gate of the Jordan River to go into the promised land that was yet to be taken, Joshua issued the following challenge in his own response. Choose this day who you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you walk the hard way of the cross and the joy of the resurrection. Thank you for those down the centuries who have heard your call and said, yes, I will follow whatever it takes. Thank you for their example, for their encouragement. Help us not only to hear your words in the sermon, but to do them. Amen.